Hello, listeners, and welcome to Gotta Brew, the podcast where two friends talk about two of our favorite things, fish and beer. Fish and I, beer. I am the Lizza. And I am the kid. And this episode's special because we have a producer now. Yeah, we're we're graduating into like professional podcast world. Yeah, producer slash fact checker slash laptop jockey. <laughs> Slash uh, the guru, as yeah. we refer to him often. Uh, we have J3PO on the soundboards. So thanks for... Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, feel good. <laughs> we are very excited. Uh, a lot of uh, knowledge can now be correctly distributed. <laughs> Tangents can be avoided, especially for me. Um, but yeah, let's dive right into it. Right, so last episode, episode nine, correct? Eight. This is episode nine. This is episode so nine. So last episode, episode eight, we kind of started to do this new loose format for the fish section where you kind of stumbled upon um, questions on sort of chats that people were pulling up on Facebook. Yeah, I believe back in the day, these would be forums. As right, they were known right, right. On the, on the AOLs. Yeah, that, it's funny in. you should say that because I literally closed my eyes and pictured like instant messages going. <laughs> it's essentially what it is. But yeah, it's uh, it's from, I'm part of three different uh, Facebook groups about fish. One of the, uh, the one I like the most is Addicted to Fish. Um, there's Friendly Fish Fans. I forget the name of the third one. Um, I'll definitely remember uh, next time. But um, it's over at this point. 50,000 people collectively and you know people just kind of throughout the day just like hey what do you guys think of this hey what do you think of that people post really awesome memes um it's just you know right they geek out on fish yeah and that's where these questions come from yes and they're cool because like it kind of just again gives us a loose little structure we kind of get to chime in give our comments on them so you pulled a few here um i want to start with miracles have you ever been or have you ever gotten one have you ever done it so what is it yeah okay uh, yeah yeah so our producer is telling us to say what it is see already already paying for his presence it's great um (laughs) so that's a good that's a good point okay so it's actually really funny you say that because every time i'm standing outside of anywhere particularly msg people are like what what's going on like what's happening why are people walking around with their finger up in the air and i had the same question when i went to my first fish show connecticut 2010 uh J3PO and I are walking around the lot or just, you know, stumbling through Shakedown Street. And I'm just like, yeah, why? Why are these people just walking around? Isn't it like a peace sign if they're trying to say like whatever? Um, I thought it an odd thing and I didn't think it would actually ever happen. I would ever witness one. I don't think I actually have witnessed one. Um, I've done it myself. Okay, so let's, um, what is a miracle? A miracle is I want to go to a fish show. Or maybe, you know, I'm following the band around and I am walking through the lot and I don't have a ticket. So I put one finger in the air and I'm requesting one ticket from a kind, friendly soul to give to me. To gift to, give to, me, to you. To gift yes. to me. Yes. Gift me the pleasure of seeing a live fish experience. Right. And um, I want to say... Other, I mean, there's a few shows I've been to where the Shakedown Street's not as prominent or whatever, but I, I can say with 100% uh, surety that it's happened at every single fish show I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a multiple of, people are doing it. It's like kind of like a weird fish thing. It's where, part of the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct, correct. People correct. are always doing it. Correct. Um, I know for me, I, fi- I miracled my first fish show 
in the Baker's Dozen. Um, oh, this is apparently a dead thing. This goes back to the dead. Would Very not cool. surprising to me. Um, similar culture. Um, but I don't. I don't think I'll ever love a show more than the first time I gave a ticket away. Um, you and I were going to the full 13 shows of the Baker's Dozen. This is the first time you've done this? Correct. Okay. It's the first time I've ever had an extra ticket. And, you know, like, <laughs> that's kind of like a thing. Yeah, you hit for all the nights. It was pretty incredible. Um, and we had extras. So, uh, you know, I, I did my fair share. But I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in reselling is terrible. I think it's terrible for sneakers. I think it's terrible for... Basically everything, sneakers and concert tickets, the thing that I I know them to to be done at the most. And I tried to do um, cash or trade, uh, you know, fish at face value. It's an awesome site. Um, couldn't just find someone to take them. So <laughs> I remember for a hot split second, we walk up to MSG and I was like, maybe I should like try to like not scalp these, but just, you know, give them away at um, at face and I walk by this couple and they're both raising their hands to be miracled. And when I walk up to the guy and I was like, Hey, what's going on? He was just like, actually, I already have a ticket. It's my girlfriend who doesn't have a ticket. And I take the donut and I hand it to him. And I was just like, have a great show. And they like freak out and they like embrace each other. And then they freak out and they embrace me. And it's just like, I think it, spontaneously it's the happiest I've ever made someone like they both just were. Did it make you happy? Yeah, it was great. I got the warm fuzzies all over. I was like, oh, I did something so nice. Um, I thought the story you told me and we gave tickets away like three or four nights. Yeah. You told me you tried to pick the two of the most random people to sit to force to sit next yeah, to so each she, other. So we had two tickets. Yeah. And yeah. when was that is, night? When was that, that night? See, this is the same night. So now you're oh, getting okay. into the, the, the past the feel good part, the kind of haha funny. I was doing something funny. Um, so we had two, the first one is this girl and I was like, who's the most random person? Cause in my mind, it's like, you at least have to go to your seats before you start roaming around. So eh, not really. I gave okay. it to this guy whose girlfriend just got miracled in. And then I just tried to find like the craziest looking person, like tie dye t-shirt, dreadlocks, like whatever. And like give them a ticket. Um, yeah. I think you pick like a crazy hippie chick and this like super reserved, like white nerdy dude. Yeah, so the white. I'm nerdy pretty. Dude I'm pretty the, sure that's is what the, the one with the girlfriend the and the is. yeah. So it it was, <laughs> you know. I, was, I, I don't know. I was like, if I'm going to do this, uh, I, guess, I guess that was kind of for me just to <laughs> be funny. But it was still the coolest experience that I've had uh, before a fish show. I think being a part of that culture and being part of like a hey, I know you're here and you want to be in the venue. And I have the means for you to do that. And I don't, you know, I have nothing to gain from this other than just to be nice. Uh, I'm not a diehard believer in karma, but I do think, you know, that positive, uh, you know, energy or positivity will come back around at some point. You know, I'll have a flat tire on the way to a fish show and someone will stop and help me or something like that. Um, sure, man. So yeah, that was mine. Yours came way, way before that, right? I, I give duplicate tickets away uh in 2014 at my new year's miami run and it was i only had one so it was cool and i didn't stay in my seats for any of those shows so i didn't get i didn't sit next to any of the people but you know i talked to them for 10 15 minutes and then we kind of went on our our way you know i've never been to the the stadium that fish plays at in miami 
it's very similar to MSG, right? Like subtle differences, like the way the actual seats are laid out, but like three tier. I think it's much bigger, smaller. JP is nodding and now shaking his head. Uh, It's okay. So here's the important thing about that for me was, um, I don't know. That venue was super cool. And I don't know if that's the way they are all the time or that's the way they are for fish fans and fish shows. But being there shaped um, me falling in love with going to see fish. Because at that arena, people could just literally go wherever they wanted. And it was cool. And that's how like I found a bunch of the people that I found. And it was just kind of like a big party. So- it wasn't It wasn't like JP always talks about. I forget what place. Um. um- I, I and J3PO, I want to call you in on this one because I think we've actually had this conversation. Um, there was a time where MSG was like that too. And MSG, they went back and did the remodeling. And in doing the remodeling, and then again, this is where I call you in and correct me if I'm wrong. The in-between sections, you know how like you can kind of, there's that periphery where you go down the doors and go out to the bathroom and the, and the food and stuff. MSG, that, yeah. that all used to be one solid row. So you right. used to be able to just walk around the periphery, and when they redid it, they, they that's that's how it is, right? So yeah, at the at the old MSG, um, <clears throat> at the old MSG, you could uh, walk the entirety of the arena in full in a full circle in a loop without going out into the the, the concourse, whatever, you call, it, whatever yeah. you call it. You could you would stay in the arena. You can't do that now. You can't do that anymore. There's this, dividers. Well, no, the stairs yeah, just yeah, the, the stairs are the, like the aisle doesn't exist anymore. So they redid huh. all the the 100 sections. They redid them. So the, there's less actual seats now. And so I'm actually wrong. Madison Square Gardens and now smaller, I'm, right? It is smaller. I'm searching here, and I don't know if this is how many seats are when they're playing basketball or if it's a concert. Right, but it, right. So it's twenty thousand seven hundred eighty nine seats. Um, at Madison Square Garden now, and it's twenty one thousand uh, oh, so, seats they're, they're at, comparable. at Miami. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty the same. Uh, I will say this: uh, American Airlines Arena, the grate of the ste- seats is steeper, so the actual building feels smaller. Like MSG is the way it, it's, it's very similar, out. like well, the Barclays yeah. Center, right? Like Barclays yes, Center, yes, rate yes, is yes. Really like, steep. like someone's head is at your knees in the row in front of you instead of like at your waist or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a steeper and it feels smaller. MSG yeah. seems bigger, Correct. but it's not. I agree. Huh. So yeah, I mean, but so so now walk me through this because I remember you were staying at a hotel and you were walking to the venue. So did you like pick somebody up on like the walk over? Did you wait till you got there? Like we outside, yeah, outside. Yeah, I was gonna say we waited till we were physically there and you know walking around. But you know, I, I've seen people just walking to various you know venues on the way uh when i went to see them first time in connecticut uh where the hotel was to where we were seeing them cirque de soleil was also in town so it's like we were walking over this bridge that kind of led to the venue and there were a lot of other people doing the same thing so there were people miracling before you even got close to the venue so i mean it's not uncommon that you know people are <laughs> i i think of times back when they were doing like it and the great went it was like this one two lane road going up there and people just walking up and you see footage people just walking up and down the side of the road just hands in the air um i think it's a super cool thing that in today's society and world where you pretty much can't get anything for free that people are still really chill and kind of are totally down to 
give tickets away for like my tickets were nice tickets same with ours ours were donut tickets for baker's dozen mine were like the you know mail-in ones for miami yeah so they're yeah. like a cool souvenir yeah but let's take this it's funny because people don't though. believe people don't, i mean fish is a different thing because you know that the one the one finger in the air means you want a ticket so you understand there's a precognitive thing in the exchange that happens but I mean, most people, when you walk up to them and hand it to them, they can't believe. They're just like, what? Well, what? Is this really happening? They, can't, they, can't, they don't trust you. Let's also call like a straight difference between the dead and fish. Like, Obviously, the dead started the miracling, but I don't think the dead ever had a problem with resellers. Right now, if you like look at certain of the shows for Watkins Glen, for example, uh, the ticket prices immediately flipped for three times, four times, five times of the prices. There were certain tickets that were going for MSG for New Year's run that were over $1,000 a ticket. It's becoming a thing where people are trying to just make money off of not even going to the fish show, just having a physical ticket that I feel like miracling is probably even still on a, on a steady decline from when the when tickets were $25 a piece. You know, now that we're up to 60 at this point, and again, right off the bat, when they announced the tour and, and tickets went on sale, I saw, with without them even selling out yet, venues where it was like $320 resale price. So, that to me is like the crazy part about reselling. My first Halloween show, 1031.96, I actually bought a ticket off of a secondary market. This is before the internet really existed, so there was an ad in the newspaper in the classifieds for tickets, and I paid a hundred bucks for what should have been a fifteen dollar or whatever it was the price. Maybe it was a thirty dollar <laughs> show because it's Halloween. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> was there a, just there was there a number you could call or an address? It's like a classified ad. It's like need tickets. I'm a broker. Call this number. And it was okay, there. so yeah, it was through broker. Damn. I I don't know a ticket broker, which is <laughs> right. now just the dude on StubHub. <laughs> right, right, right. I also don't know how. It would seem to me that scalping the tickets would be harder back then. I see pictures of old ticket stubs, and even when the holographics first started and stuff, it's just now I get a code where I go on the StubHub, and I have to trust that this code has never been printed or downloaded or whatever by somebody else. Going into um, Baker's Dozen, we saw it a lot. People would go to scan a ticket, and it would already have been scanned. And the guy would be like, oh, bro, like, I just paid this money for a ticket. Uh. And, like, it just seems easier to do now with how much, you know, technology has kind of riddled itself through there. Um, but I don't know. A fact checker. I don't know. There were, there were uh, no fake tickets back then. Right. So you couldn't, you couldn't fake a ticket. Yeah, it's, it's, you'd have to be some sort of, have some sort of printing device in your apartment or wherever you live, you know, to recreate the Ticketmaster hard ticket stubs. You'd have to right. have a special printer to do that. Like no one right. had that. So if you had tickets, it was just kind of like, yeah, they're real. And especially fish tickets because they started doing the hologram things as early as 96. Damn. So see, that's what I'm saying. Like we're getting, it's actually getting easier to me, in my opinion, of scalping, reselling, and pretty much just you know it's the negative side of a rising tide raises all ships it's like because scalpers realize that they can really push the envelope for these uh you know and and ticketmaster is so fucking broken that you can program <laughs> j3po and i actually talked about this once where i was looking into buying a bot and what the bot does is that it basically automatically snipes front row tickets and it'll snipe you like 20 of them 
And like there, obviously you have to have a viable amount of credit to pay for the tickets still, but you could basically pick the quantity and pick the section and the bot would go in and break Ticketmaster and get them for you. And the software is insanely expensive. It's like $5,000. But if you're a scalper and you put down $5,000 and get a couple front row fish tickets, you make your money back in one show. So it's, it's, or Billy Joel. It's broken. It's uh, but yeah. Yes, you're going like so negative, man. Like, I, hate I think it. I this hate whole it. topic is enlightening. And yeah, I'm sorry. I'm turning something and happy. Beautiful yeah. Keep and miracleing people. Sorry, I'm yeah, being a jerk. You're, I'm sorry. You're totally taking this into like well, a dark, twisted. No, but place. that's. I think that's. And, also but everything why you're talking about has always happened for concerts since the beginning of fucking time. Yeah, there's but, always been scalpers. People have always been trying to upsell. It. It's like a whole thing, and that's the beauty of fish. Again, I don't know. I mean, the dead, of course, as J3 people. Up, but like, but it's it's to me it's kind of like a unique thing where people are still chill and like giving things away for free. And that's uh, yeah. great, and I and I applaud that, and I will continue to miracle people. And yeah, I think it's great. If I have extra tickets, I definitely want to do. It I'm again. too paranoid um, to go to a show without a ticket. Yeah, I will never do that because I'm just straight paranoid. Like I didn't realize that was a thing. Like I, there's so much. God, the people I went to fish shows with when I first started going were just like, man, this chick is. There's no fucking clue what's happening. I was like, I rushed to get into the arena. I was like rushing. I was like rushing the group of people I was with. You didn't know the start just time like, is what the suggested fuck are you? Time. Yeah, yeah. I was just like so eager to like get in and get to my seats. And like, they're like fucking sitting in Lazy Boys fucking, I don't know what the hell they were fucking doing. But everyone's just like, no, man, like you just, we want to just like chill out here. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that was like a whole thing that you do. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I uh, to hopefully redeem myself i want to believe in miracling i want to continue to do it if i have the opportunity i cannot imagine because it's never happened to me i can't imagine what it would be like and i'm like you i would not go to a show if I oh you've never gotten one for free i've never you've ever given been one but you've yeah. never made and i don't think i ever will be like i don't i, I just I, like you i would never go to a show if i don't already have a ticket um and maybe that's also kind of like a different thing like there's there's a documentary, uh, J3PO, you, sh- you should know the, I forget the documentary you showed me where like they follow around fans and like, they're just like, oh, you've, um, it's called bittersweet motel. Yeah. Duh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but yeah. We're in the, it's just like, they interview a couple of these people and they're like, yeah, we're just following the band around. And he's like, what do you mean you're following the band? It's like, yeah, we're just going where they go. Like, I don't think I would ever do that. That's just what I'm saying. So the odds of me needing a ticket to be miracled is also non-existent. I don't know. <laughs> um, Can we do the how long after you started listening to Fish before you went to your first show question? Yeah, that's a perfect question. Because this is a cool question because I think that's very different from... You and I? Absolutely. You and I and everyone. Everyone has their own thing. But yeah, for you and I, it's very different, obviously. Yeah, so tell me, about, like, what what is the first memory you have of hearing a fish song and was it before your first show no i didn't know what fish was <laughs> until it was you, it was, it was going to be show. the fourth of july and someone said hey this band called fish is playing in saratoga i'm like all right great man and i conned somebody i didn't con somebody i got a ride up there and i paid for me and the driver's ticket 
and then it like just broke open. I'm the assuming the driver world. wanted to go. There's no way you just. <laughs> yeah. No. Someone. No. No. Yeah. So I called my friend up and I was like, "Yo, man, like we're on the street is like you were thinking about going to this show on July 4th," and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it." And then he's like, "I'll totally go and drive if you want to buy my ticket." And it was like 30 bucks or whatever. It wasn't expensive. Uh, maybe it was more, but it wasn't. I don't think it was 60 bucks. I think the 60 buck thing is relatively new. Uh, this it was is 2015. In 2014. Right? July 4, 2014, Saratoga. And we had lawn seats. So it was like pretty, it was a chill, man. But anyway, it, that bucks, exploded yeah. my whole world. My world was changed that day. Yeah, I mean. And I had, I had heard fish songs. But I had researched them on the internet. I had like went on Google and typed in fish songs. But this was after you got tickets. This is after you have tickets in hand. And now you're like, I should probably do some research on these guys. I'm about to go see them play. Uh, honestly, uh, I I remember. Yeah, no, I had the tickets. I agreed to go. I was going right, to the right. show. And then I was like, eh, I should probably like see what the fuck is going on. And then I Googled most tolerable fish song. <laughs> because I knew they were a jam band right. and I pictured, you know, something that I would hate and I got sample in a jar and that's why sample in a jar is the first fish song I ever heard. That's and then, uh, yeah. And then it kind of all just went from that. And the, the, like, again, it was like the whole, the whole culture of the thing, like what we were just talking about, kind of traveling around, like me and, and my friend went up there. We didn't have any place to stay, but we knew he knew and I knew, you know, 50, 30 to 50 people who were going to be up there. At this one very specific place, the Adirondack Inn, which is in walking distance to Spec. And he's just like, let's just drive up there, man. Don't worry. Like, well, people will put us up. Like, we'll have a room to stay in. We'll find, we'll be able to find drugs. Like, <laughs> it's, it was a very just like, yeah, let's just get up there kind of thing. Yeah. So I get that notion of just getting to the place and seeing how it shakes out, yeah, which is kind of I mean, fun. It's e- fun. Even still, you had a ticket in hand. It's not like you were going with nothing and expecting something, you know. But still I still could have gotten different. in without a ticket. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm the exact opposite. I had tried several times to listen to fish. Um, okay, how I, did you? I, how did it come into your consciousness? I mean, I think I've told this story, but um, my roommate in college, my freshman year of college at University of Colorado at Boulder, was from Massachusetts. Um, so he's from the New England area, obviously, and he was he was super super fucking into fish, and he also was a huge Dead fan. Um, I think. The part of the story that that y'all know is that he would walk into the room either listening to Touch of Grey or David Bowie. So David Bowie is my first audible fish song. Um, And honestly, I did really enjoy the song by itself. Um, Because it has... Little like to no lyrics. Two phrases. Yeah, yeah. And it's just really jammy. It's got these raging parts. And I was like, oh, these dudes are kind of cool. What ends up happening is... (laughs) I then try to follow up with him and be like, hey, like, what songs should I listen to? And he, like, gives me, like, three or four. I don't even remember them. They don't even register in my mind because I remember listening to the very next one he suggests. And I'm just like, I'm not into this. It's just not for me. Um, Maybe there's a couple more out there that are, you know, more instrumental or more whatever. And, you know, I I could recognize the craft and the musicianship and, and that part of it. But I... Again, for some reason, attached to vocals really hard, and I couldn't get around it. And he's showing me live stuff. Then I start working. Um, I transfer to NYU. I meet J3PO. J3PO is like, you got to listen to this band. You got to come see them with me. It's going to be really great. This is about 2009. And like 
the whole 2009. He's like, you got to come to one of these shows with me. And I'm just like, no. I don't want to. It's like, I can't get behind these guys. The music's terrible. He's like, well, why don't you listen to this? Why don't you listen to that? I believe you even gave me some studio stuff to listen to where the vocals are perfect. And I'm still just like, eh, it's not really my thing. I'm more into Dave Matthews Band and John Mayer. Big shout out to me for being an idiot and a doofus. But it was, again, I love Matt's. Uh, podcast episode because he I've never heard someone articulate it in a way that like your ear wasn't ready for it yet and um, even still now we're in approaching uh, 2010 going to Connecticut and Hartford and J3PO the only reason he could convince me to go is because he said to me flat out fine if you're not into the music that's cool but you should still go a it's a sick live experience B it's the most drugs you'll do in the same place at the same time And I was like, that sounds like an awesome party and an awesome experience. And it sounds like everybody's going to be into the music that's there. I can get behind that. So I'll go see that. And then we were talking last episode about like how long it took it to kind of catch before we knew we were fans. took me like five more shows and really like... Okay, so go, so you didn't you heard a couple songs. So you didn't listen to Fish before no, you went to go see You had heard a couple songs. He bought Joy. <laughs> oh god okay so that was not a good you, one you didn't know what you were you had no guidance <laughs> there okay um and then you went to your first show and then you still didn't like them after your first so show. if you look at the set list for my first show C- connecticut 2010 uh hartford it's a good show so i listen to it a lot there, there's actually. again moments we talked about this moments where it's a, a really awesome show they played hershey park uh, a couple shows before that and forgot to play tweezer replies at prize after playing tweezer. They played it twice in our show. Crazy epic, but I didn't know what that was yet. They also, in my opinion, they play a lot of their bluegrassy stuff both nights. So I'm not into bluegrass. So there were, <laughs> I remember turning to J three PO on the lawn and being like, I'm going to go take a piss. Like, I don't want to hear this shit. Cool. Like, okay. So, so again, again though, we've already established that you weren't into the music, so you're not going to listen to the music. You didn't like the experience after your first show. I did. That's the only reason I went. That's the only reason I kept going. And I that's liked, what got you to go back. I, so I remember, um, standing, uh, on the hill, J3PO's to my left, my very good friend Day Day is to my right. And where I kind of look back and the lights hit the crowd and everybody's kind of just pumping and like dancing in the same beat. And I remember turning around and, and being like, ah, the music's not really like some of the songs are not really my jam, but this experience is my jam like everybody's into it everybody's kind of moving at the same time and the same thing and everybody's kind of just bopping to the same beat this is awesome like that's what was intoxicating to me so then i remember again i had a really awesome fish teacher who was just like well what do you like about that song or what do you like about that song and then was guiding me to other stuff again 290 plus originals and then covers on top of that i think i'm one of those people who probably fell into them more via the covers too loving cup love it cross-eyed and painless love it so it's like i had things that kind of started working into my taste that slowly convinced me. And then I go to Bethel's 2011 Bethel's, I think, I think it's 2011. So and what, so let me just, what about, uh, because what you just described happens at every concert, 
you look around and people are into it. Like yeah, what? what so what about shit. what about <laughs> fish specifically? I mean, you, you like you know what I'm saying? Like, did you were you like in that moment where you like yeah, like this Here, I can okay. feel this. I, I'm like getting into I, this. Is my vibe like my jam? Like, yeah. What? So I think I can say it in a better, more articulate way. When I mean, because I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying no, that's no, no. not really unique to seeing right. fish. So when I went to see Bruce Springsteen, or when I went to see John Mayer, or when I went to see these other bands that I was interested in, if you turn around, there's people standing. There's people singing along. There's people fucking sitting. Tell me, unless you are freaking handicapped, you are not sitting at a fish show. Unless it's a festival and you're in the way, way back and you got a bunch of kids. There's just no sitting at a fish show. Doesn't exist. <laughs> disabled is the term you want. Disabled. <laughs> yes, sorry. Fish, I love when I hear people shush other people at fish. It's like my favorite thing yeah, in the whole shut world. Shut the fuck up. I want to hear the music. Like, that's what I'm saying. There's this... Yeah, it's great. There, and, and I remember... Um, Ooh, what do you got here? Yeah. This sounds like a... Oh, man. It's the show you were talking about? So. <laughs> this is Connecticut 2010? Or Bethel's? Bethel's. Nice. I again we talked about the other day what show do you go back and listen to most often this is the show it is just so this was your what show was this for your second uh, show no 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 we're like five or six in at this point okay so this, this is I just want to I want to say this really quickly um, you talk about miracles uh, one of the greatest miracles of my life was watching the kid realize he was getting his first David Bowie of all time <laughs> which is at this yeah <laughs> so. More often than not, um, I get Maze. And, you know, Maze and Bowie are very similar. J3VO, you've had to tell me several different times a slight difference. It's just um, the rim shot. Is, I, yep. Yeah, I can always tell. I can't. I get I lost can. in it. I hear the... And I'm like, oh my God, there it is. There it is. Bowie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know what's really funny? I don't get Maze until they come in with the... Dun, 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 dun. And then I'm like, God fucking damn it. Because, <laughs> again, I get really hyped. So uh, I think, again, to get it back to how much music I was listening to before I saw Fish, Bowie is the only song I'm literally listening to before I go to a Fish show that I like. And then the show where I finally get bit with the bug is a show where I get my first Bowie. And I've been to five. Now, imagine you go to see another band play. You get like their greatest hits. You get their gold album version of like what they're going to. They always kind of play old stuff with new stuff that they think everybody's going to love. And you're lucky if that happens at Fish because there's so much content. You might fall in. That's why, you know, you, your white whale for the longest time was Fluffhead. It's one of your favorite songs, and, like, it took you forever to get it. For me, that was You Enjoy Myself. For some people, they've seen a bunch of You Enjoy Myself and a bunch of Fluffhead. So it's just so random what you're going to get that you, you're always, and I, that's one of the things I love about Fisher, always chasing after that perfect show. And it's only possible once you mix the live experience with the you know the backside of like listening to fish um, i think that's indisputable yeah when it comes to fish this is leading us in i feel like to the best jam you've ever seen in person yeah that's a good question i hate this question it's it's leading i mean i think it's a natural progression into what we were talking about but i got one I mean, it's 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 pretty recent. I mean, before that, I probably would have said one of my. There's a jam in in Bethel's. Um, I think the the. 
I think the thing that took it over for me was, and I believe this is Jam Night. I could be wrong, but it's the Baker's Dozen, um, and it's the 38-minute, 37-something-minute cross-eyed painless best jam i've ever seen in person a i love the song i love the way they uh fish does it more than uh talking heads and that jam just goes so many places if we could just cue up that uh the cross i I think it's obviously um that tuesday night um i think it's the 14th could be wrong on that but um and i would say go about 15 minutes in and you know it's basically halfway through the song. I think you're I just, just like, saying that because you like that song. I do like that song, but even so, wh- what are you going to say if someone asks you what's the best jam you've ever seen? It's probably a song that you really enjoy that also gets extended. So here's here's what here's what I don't I wouldn't I don't like I couldn't answer this question because I don't like specifically have these like pinpoint moments like. I, I I couldn't answer this question. You've never been at a show. And like, I mean, I get that you enjoy all your shows and that's perfectly awesome and fine. You've never been at one specifically where you were just like, damn, that song just ripped my face off. Like I need to go yeah, back and Yeah, all the time. It. Or like there's been specific moments where, you know, I feel like uh, I'm vibrating or I have goosebumps or things like that. That happens all the time. I just don't like, I can't go back and like extract that from the entire experience outside of the entire song. So you've never gone back to listen to shows that you've heard in the past and go, wow, that was like one of like, if I'd say, give me your top three, you'd be like this date, this show I was at. Nope. This song. That's crazy. So much, so much fish I listen to. Like I'll be listening to a song that I know or am familiar with. And then like, it'll get into a crazy part. And I'm just like, damn, what show is this? Like, damn, what the hell is happening right now? I just like do that. And I'm like, yeah, this is a really good version of this song, but I don't necessarily, I can't say like there was a jam specifically. See, that's when I've seen them live. I, I don't know if that's a difference Six just because of like how you listen to the music. I think you, you, we talk about this a lot. You get really into the experience and the entirety of the show. I nitpick and I'm kind of actively listening. Um, Ooh, oh, man. he found it. Yeah, he did. It's great. And it, again, like we're in cross-eyed and painless. It's really like slow, like cool part. It's got these ebbs and flows, and like again, as a musician, there's like I, I dig dynamics. I'm not as into like when their songs get more spacey and weird. So this I one am. had like the this one had the right balance to me. It's, it's pretty seven twenty-five seventeen seven twenty-five, and it's what? It's thirty-eight minutes long. I want to say thirty-eight, thirty-three and a second long. That's crazy. Like. And I did not... Might not be the longest. And, uh, yeah, but I didn't care. <laughs> I was just like, 33 minutes. Like, and I remember when it ended, I think we were on the floor this night. I was just like, like Ric Flair, like, woo, like, damn, like, damn. And like, I just, like, can't remember one specific... I remember sets that kind of made me want to, like, you know, throw my fist in the air and be like, what the fuck was that? That was awesome. But, like, I don't know. This... You have, that's the question. The question is, what is it? It's this song. Yeah, and you gave me a great answer. <laughs> this was a great gem. I don't necessarily see for me like length doesn't necessarily equate to what I what I'm like. You're in a song. Yeah, one hundred percent. I like uh, Rogue. Is that how you say it? Right, Rogue. So like Rogue. that's one of my favorite songs of all time. And it just the end. The end is uh, 
like it just uh, I I like I do love all the spaciness that's actually one of my favorite things that fish does ever but of course I love that slow build and then when things just kind of like take off is great yeah I again it's different people different things that captivate them at a show that uh, I it's just amazing to me that you haven't found just like that one that you're just like oh man that was I'll look for it uh, this will be an addendum I'll do an addendum next episode <laughs> to it I'll, I'll figure it out well um, it's about time for us to take that short 15 minute break so why don't we um, why don't we just uh, get people a little ready for what we're talking when we're coming back for beer we're going to talk about um, some beers we're going to try we have a beer that uh, I was gifted for my birthday which was on uh, March 11th a really good uh, friend of mine at work gave me a hand and seal from Brooklyn Brewery. We also have a Satsuga, which is from Oxbow Brewing Company. We're going to talk a little bit about my uh, rice IPA, which is ready. And I've actually been drinking this whole first half. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, beer recipes. How, you know, our... our separate approaches to uh to developing them how we go about like testing them and and all that stuff word um so yeah we'll be right back after this short 15 minute break
Welcome back to Got a Jabrew with me, the Lizza. And I'm the kid. And we're talking about mm. beer. Yeah. It's good beer. What did you just open there? Um This is on site from Battery Steel. Experimental IPA series. I think we talked about drinking it at the top of um the last episode, but we just didn't make it. We didn't we didn't get to this specific beer, I should say. Sweet. Um, it's really good. It smells great. Uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, <laughs> really good. Smells great. Smells great. Really good. <laughs> New England IPA. It's good. Everything I want more in life right now. It's good. Um, you know. So informative. <laughs> Super informative. Um, so can, can we actually talk about the Sasuga? Yes. Cool. Sasuga so Oxbow Brewing Company. Yeah, yeah. Sasuga. Um, from Oxbow Brewing Company, located in Maine, uh, and this is a stainless aged saison. So it's a saison with forty percent Grainville rice, and then in primary it is fermented with Brettanomyces, and then secondary they throw in the house saison yeast strain. What did you think of this, honestly? Um, it was muddy. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Only a joke to us. <laughs> um, I think for a, a, a saison, saison. Yeah. I always say saison. wrong. Saison. Um, saison. <laughs> Maybe that's how I say it in Japan. <laughs> I don't, they use uh, Spanish vowels, so probably. Si- that, I think that's why I say it that way, because you know. I'm <laughs> the whitest Puerto Rican you'll ever see, but you I read. Spanish, yeah. yeah, I read my vowels the way you do in Spanish, so it's say it's. I don't know. Anyway, it's what I don't. The I don't know. <laughs> so Sasuga Setsu- roughly translates. It's Japanese. Roughly translates to like a turn of phrase uh, that means like of course, but of course. Um, and the owner of Oxbow um, went to college in Japan. So it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek. Like, of course I'd make a saison with rice. You and make a lot of beer with rice, so that's why I'm asking kind yeah, of your insight I mean, the, here. the beer I just made is with rice, and we're going to talk about that briefly. <laughs> um, it's I can't... The reason I, I don't really get what you just said, the 40%, is because it's not as dry as I would expect it to be from it being 40% rice. And... It just tastes like another uh, saison to me. Really? Yeah. So when you I think say this to beer me, does not taste anything like a saison. Yeah, tomatoes, tomatoes. It's just there's not a lot about it that's classically saison. Rice is forty percent of the Grainville. J3PO pointed out earlier that rice doesn't just make the beer drier; it also gives a sweetness to it. <laughs> I think the rice. It's a little lost with all the bread. Yeah, yeah I, w- I would definitely agree with that. That's what I'm yeah, saying. There's no, there's no profile to me. That's what, that's what I was trying right, to say. And if you pitch this to me as a saison, I'd be like, whoa, this doesn't taste like a saison to me. It just tastes like a... So why doesn't it taste like a saison to you? Bread. I, because to me, when you say something is saison, it's a very distinct yeast character. You get a lot of the yeast, the, the flavor profile from the yeast, which is like peppery. It's very distinctive. And this, you get just a lot of the bread. Fruity, tropical... Right, so the thing, again, we talked about this last episode, or was it the episode before, where uh, if you're pitching something on a label, you kind of 
uh, set me up for a very specific thing. So if you're saying that it's 40% rice, I don't know. I expect that to be in the forefront of the, you know, I expect that to be in the flavor profile of the beer. And right, I right, just, right, right. It gets sure. like J3 beer was saying, it gets a little lost for me. Which is crazy because, again, when like the fat toy, fat, factoid of 40% of the green bill being rice was pitched to me, I was like, damn, I, yeah, I, same thing. I was like, I don't really detect or get a lot of rice in this. But the spear's good, honestly. I like it a lot. Yeah. Let's, should we talk about uh, the unnamed uh, rice IPA that I made? Yeah, let's, let's get into a little bit of recipe development. Sure. As a home brewer. I, I always this is one of my favorite questions to ask home brewers is how they develop recipes. It's a very uh very unique experience. It's it's personal, each. yeah. It's yeah. personal to, to yeah. I've been actually uh <laughs> there's this show on uh History Channel, uh Forged in Fire. Um pause for a second. This battery's dead. <laughs> Forged in Fire is a show on the History Channel where oh, yeah, it is. Uh, blacksmiths from across the country, it's kind of like Chopped, the blacksmith version of Chopped. And what's really interesting about uh, blacksmithing is is the same thing where I, I guess I'm going with beer is that there's multiple ways and multiple techniques and multiple things you can do to make a blade same way with brewing. You can approach it very differently forged in fire is again blacksmiths making uh stuff in the same way they make chops so that they have like a time limit to do stuff and you see a lot of different techniques and a lot of different approaches um and it's it's very interesting to see how people have many different ways to get to the same end right so um I know for the rice IPA right now that I was making, uh, the goal was to see different hopping techniques and what yielded the best results. So in this one, um, I you know tried a bunch of different ways to get aromatics out of the hops. I did flame out additions. I did uh, like quote unquote whirlpooling additions. I did uh, dry hopping. Uh, in secondary. So now the fun part will be going around to batch two and taking some of those techniques away, seeing how it affects the beer, taking the parts that I think were right. And now uh, like accentuating those specific things and and seeing where it goes. Um, but yeah, recipe uh, recipe development is really interesting for each individual brewer. We all have our own kind of means to get at. I know you were homebrewing by yourself for only just a little bit. How did you go about figuring out what you were going to make, like what you were going to do? I brought, I bought the book. I purchased the book, Brewing Classic Styles, and tried to make every single one of the beers in that book because it was a very good sort of like bare bones. This is the best version of each style. And then I kind of went in and made tweaks to things that I wanted to. Like, gives you an American-style IPA. So then me, being hop-obsessed, would go in and crank up the hops and make it, you know, crazy IBU. But that 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 book is a very good tool for people who are getting into homebrewing or, or kind of need a jumping-off point and entry point to develop recipes. How, how about you, J3PO? How do you... I mean, you've been brewing for a really long time, since the 90s. I don't imagine... Um, I imagine it was a lot more of, like, guess and check... 
a lot less i don't know I'm, i don't want to put words in your mouth first of all forged in fire season five started march 13th 2018 it's on the history channel historychannel.com <laughs> pay us <laughs> You paid us. <laughs> it is a very interesting show. It's, I mean, like it's the I have, chopped a blacksmith. I have, it's crazy. yeah. I mean, I didn't think I was going to leave it on, and I kind of got, I fell in like two episodes, and I was like, whoa, I watched a lot of the show, and I didn't think I even was going to care about it. <laughs> Thank my, you for that. <laughs> <laughs> my thing, uh, you gotta, we gotta remember our friends. <laughs> Sometimes you want a new boat, you remember your friends, and the money comes in. All right. <laughs> For me, recipe development starts actually with something we were talking about uh, off air. Um, Not necessarily cloning something, but being obsessed with a beer or a style of beer. For example, the reason I started homebrewing, well, the first time around is because I had another friend who was into it. But the second time around, around 2008, when I started to really forge what would become simple... um, I started homebrewing because I fell in love with Younger's Special Bitter. It's a beer by Rogue, and it's a very simple beer. It's an English bitter, which is funny because English bitters aren't bitter at all by our standards anymore, but that's just what they call them in England. Um, But it's an Americanized English bitter, and it was just great. It was so well-balanced, and there was just a nice hop finish mixed with the candied sort of yeast kind of american yeast flavor and i fell in love with it and i wanted to make that and so ultimately that is what became zen motor which is probably our it's our flagship pale ale but it's probably the beer i brewed more than any other beer ever i've brewed this beer at least a hundred times at this point so um it slowly developed that recipe slowly developed, but it started out of an idea of wanting to clone. So I think everybody has a visceral reaction to like what would be their favorite beer, where it's like, oh my god, this, this, this. I love the way this tastes, and so yeah. I want to recreate that. Um, the second beer I ever brewed was a Nugget Nectar clone, because that was my favorite beer that got me into drinking craft beer. So you never had a beer that you tasted and were like, I'm going to try my hand at making this? So this is, again, I, I come from a very spoiled, learning how to homebrew perspective, where... He's weird. Uh, <laughs> I was brewing with J3PO. He, ta- again, taught me how to brew. So a lot of the times when you and I would brew together, I kind of would just show up and the recipe would already be there. You know, J3PO would have an idea. He would say, let's do that. And we would just go from there. So Until Ghost. Right. So Ghost, when we were talking about making that during your first episode with us, um, I didn't go to him saying, this is a beer I like and this is where I'm going. I said, I went to him and said, this is what I want to make. Help me translate my idea into like phys- like into the physical realm. Like I'm gonna tell you these flavors and these things that I like, and you're gonna help it become a reality. But based on the vast amount of brew knowledge that you have, so but where did that idea come from? How was it inceptioned in your I, brain? I, I just came up with it. So that's what I'm saying. Like I didn't have. You just came up with yeah, making is, a rice. So the closest pill. thing that ever happened. No, J3PO came up with the rice ale part. But wh- where it came from was me going up to him and saying, "I want, I want to like something hoppy, but I know that I don't like super bitter. Again, don't like coffee. I don't like these harsh, like crazy tastes. So how do I do this in a subtle way? Well, hops can be tropical. Cool. I want something tropical. Uh, I want this. I want, and like, we kind of fleshed it out from there. So it actually came from a new idea that I just came in and had. So, (laughs) 
I've had beers in the market that get close to that original idea that I pitched to him, but nothing is quite like Ghost. Ghost came out of something that I, you know, put together in my brain. It it doesn't have a market uh, cousin or, you know, I don't know. (laughs) What I will say is after that experience, it changed the way I started creating recipes for myself. Which was for me to ask myself the question, what do I want to drink when I drink uh, whatever style of beer? However, when you were pitching it to me, the thing that it made me think of was Samurai, which is a beer by Great Divide Brewing Company. So it's a little column A, a little column <laughs> Shout out Great Divide. That, I was obsessed yeah. with that beer. That beer is great. They still make it. You can only get it in Denver. They don't bottle it anymore, and I'm disappointed about that. But with sushi, best beer in the world. Yeah. But even, I mean, again, it's, it's I, I think when you, once you start thinking about beer that way, that's when shit kind of starts getting crazy. I think that's the same way a chef goes to... Uh, you know, a specific area of the world to figure out how they make something. And then they end up deconstructing it. They end up taking it apart and putting it back together and putting their own rendition on whatever. I just skipped that first step. I, you know, was brewing with someone who has been doing it for years and could, could take my, again, I, I would imagine yeah, you put it through a funnel. Right. And I, not only, but not only that, it's like, but as, as a home brewer, as a first round home brewer, people don't have all that information unless they do the research on it themselves. Right. So, but now how I approach beer making is that I do exactly what J3PO just said. I go, this is the style. This is what I know vaguely that the, the, the you know, when you look at um, KCBC, KCBC, I always say it wrong. KCBC. KCBC, the like the. Kings County Brewers Collective. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> I forget the stupid. I'm bad with acronyms, just like I'm bad with names, just like I'm bad with any minute detail. The BJCP. Oh. <laughs> BJCP. I didn't even correct certification you. program. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going for. The acronym was so wrong that I, I did it. The, the style guidelines guide. I yes. think it's big black furry creatures from Mars. <laughs> That's where, honestly, when I'm making a style that I don't know much about that's where I start. And I say, okay, this is the SRMs I know I'm supposed to be. This is the the malt characteristics that judges are looking for when they you know taste this style. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is my it's... start point. So you have but you also so then you consult a written sort of description of what a style of beer is meant to be. Right, but I do it that way on purpose so it doesn't influence how I develop the actual ingredients like what i'm using okay so i think that gives me a really awesome blank slate to work from i'm not kind of leaning towards something more than the other and i don't think in the entirety the six almost seven years that i've been brewing now have i ever gone to a recipe and said well i'm gonna take this and just tweak that and tweak this and go to that and go to this and i always try to approach it that same way so i don't it's I don't know. <laughs> so your recipes don't evolve? They do. I mean, once you make them, it's trial and error at that point, right? So, again, this IPA that I just made, uh, there's parts of it that I like. I got, like, two out of the three that I was going for. Two out of three things that I was going for. I wanted to fix the problems that I was having with my grain bill with a paleo or an IPA where it was too thin. And I wanted to fix, I was going for a New England style, so I wanted it to be cloudy. So I swapped from American Ale Yeast, I went to London 3. 
check off the cloudy part and have a you know a better you know yeast there and so then, can you speak a little bit to that I don't really understand how yeast can make something cloudy. Yeah, you know, there's a really awesome home brewing forum. I got to look it up. I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head. This guy took, he took two. <laughs> he took our producers getting mad at me because I know no this details. Ever. This is why you're here. This is why you know you're around now. Um, he made two identical beers. He basically made two. Two and a half gallon batches. So he took a five gallon batch, split it off the grain build that he made, and he made it as simple as possible. Basically, just two row and a very little bit of oats. And he brewed it with American ale yeast and London three. And he documented the whole thing. He took pictures the whole way through. He obviously, since he split his wort, doesn't have to worry about the grain differential between the two, the efficiency or whatever, any of that stuff. And then he shows the final product, one beer next to the other. And the London three is twice as cloudy and he's just like it's just you know the 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 way that the yeast falls or the the hops fall out and get caught in the yeast because of the way the yeast propagates in london three as opposed to whatever and then he goes through a full flavor profile he's like you know these beers are super bare but there's a slight sweetness to the london three that's not really there with the american ale yeast and after breaking all that down i was just like that's the, the the place that i am going towards so it was really awesome again that there is the internet and things like that some people have already gone ahead and and done this this vetting and this research in a way that is super bare because the only other way i would have done that was to make it with a similar grain build than i just had done with the pale ale with london three see what happens tweak it from there and you know it just saved me like a couple batches a couple rounds so what was your grain bill for your beer um it is two row. It is carapils. It is oats, and it is rice flakes. Flaked rice backwards, not forwards. Wait, yeah. Um, I got some great things out of the oats. Um, uh, my beer was running a little thin a couple batches ago, and now it's you know it's a little you know a little it's a lot smoother. Um, the head retention's great now because I, I uh, picked up a little bit of the carapils. Um. The London Three is great. It's, it does help with the cloudiness of it, and it does give it a little sweetness that helps to accentuate the grain bill. Um, but there are things that I don't like about it. Uh, the hops that I used for uh, my bittering hop, I'm not a big fan of. It's not uh, citrusy enough. It's a little more peppery, a little more earthy. So um, it's Amarillo. Um I'm just not into it, so I'm gonna, you know, swap it out for something, you know, a little long, a little better. I don't know. So hops are the showcase <laughs> of this beer. Hops are the star <laughs> of this beer. They, yeah. in addition to using the yeast, now that you want, you're kind of experimenting and tweaking with hops. Yeah, and it, it's trying to find something. I want my beer to taste like uh, citrus and pineapple. That's what I'm going for: citrus and pineapple. Well, I think you got a big market for that. <laughs> what are can can you speak to some of the um the pitfalls or difficulties in brewing with rice? Cuz that's the kind of the theme that we have going J-3PO. here. J3PO, you remember that? That's the Suga. The first beer we made with rice where we didn't use rice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Why don't you why don't we I think this is a great story for for you to tell more than me cuz I remember how we <laughs> it's probably the first time 
in the entire time that I was brewing with you at this point, I think we were like three or four years in at this point, three, I want to say, and we got our first stuck mash. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> okay. So Which time was it though? Um, we, I think we were on like attempt two or three of, of, of making no, it was probably like even before that. Anyway, we were using rice hull or rice flaked rice and didn't use rice hulls. So what ended up happening is you know we do our mash and we open the valve to let the first yeah. runoffs out and nothing comes out. Yeah, and we're like, oh fuck, because <laughs> what, what did we do? <laughs> I so think I blocked this out of my memory. yeah, because it was terrible. <laughs> so first we obviously try to force water in. To the to the actual valve yeah, and try to force yeah, yeah. the bed up and have it reset on the, on the actual mash tub. Correct. So we tried to almost like push water up through the false bottom, and that would kind of like reset everything because we didn't know why it was stuck. We immediately assumed that maybe the false bottom didn't hit the bottom of the cooler right, but it had to have because we set it empty. So it's like, what's going on? And then <laughs> there's there's obviously water enough in the grains that we can see it above the bed. So then we tried to like press it down and force the water to the top and then siphon that water out, which didn't work. So what we ended up doing was sanitizing a... Didn't we um, just dump it into another bucket? Another and bucket, back yeah, and then dump it back. Yeah. And, and somehow in doing that, it dislodged the flake rice, which is basically gelatin at this point. And in doing and disrupting the bed that much, we were able to get it moving again, and then gravity kind of siphoned it out. But it was... Crazy because... And we burned ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was crazy is that we lost, obviously, a ton of wart. Like a gallon, probably. Yeah, like a gallon of wart because we're, we're transferring there and back. Um, and we were like, God, this has never happened before. Why is this happening? And we, like, you know, jump on the internet and, you know, do a quick search for it. And it's, like, immediately right away, it's just, like, you have to use rice hulls if you're using more yeah. than two pounds of rice. You have, like, to rice hulls, oh. have to use rice hulls. have to use rice hulls. PSA. So the rice hulls being so light, it kind of suspends into the mash and it captures this gelatin that forms off the rice flakes. And it keeps it in suspension enough that, you know, water can pass and it doesn't get clogged. It's, it does the same thing that the husks of an actual grain that's not flaked does for itself. Right. Essentially. Big tip. If you're going to use flaked anything, <laughs> rice hulls. <laughs> but, um, yeah, let's, why don't we, so I want to really talk about this, uh, other beer we're going to be, uh, popping open right now. Um, a friend of mine, uh, from work, uh, got me this beer for my birthday. It's his favorite beer. It is Hand and Seal by uh, Brooklyn Brewery. I'm glad it's the beer we're drinking last because it's a barley wine. Um, pretty hefty. It is 13.3%. A little crazy. Um, I got to give me a second for this cork and cage. So we can, can we get a little bit more information on this beer? Other sure. than the fact that it's barley wine. In the in the twentieth year of his reign, our brewmaster brought forth a new wonderment for the people: barley wine style ale, an old and once exclusive drink of the British nobility, would be produced anew in Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn Brewing, uh, Brewing team toiled to create a complex liquid with the rich flavors of floor malted barley, shining through layers of vanilla, coconut, and floral notes, provided by aging in casks of bourbon oak, culminating in 100% bottle fermentation. So it's a bourbon barrel aged barley wine. <laughs> there you go. You didn't want the, the you know the label story. What is what is a barley wine? <laughs> Uh, it's a really strong beer. <laughs> That's not false. <laughs> it's just incredibly vague. <laughs> Why don't you tell us, Cicerone, what's a barley wine? I want JP to look it up. Okay. I want our producer to chime in here. <laughs> we got to make him, you know, make him work a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm to give it a quick. So this beer is called Hand and Seal from Brooklyn Brewery. Very good. I'm impressed with your ability to open that. And this is your coworker's favorite beer. Yeah. Barley wine. Oh. Barley wine. Barley wine. It's a style of strong ale. Between 6 and 11%. It's mostly English. It's an English ale. style. It's an English style strong ale that came out a long time ago. Obviously, the American ones are more aggressively hopped. Uh, barrel the best, aged, the a best, lot of them are barrel aged. a lot of them are. Um, the best of the example is Bigfoot. I think everybody knows Bigfoot by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Yeah, I think that's the most see, popular see, so, old crustacean. Okay, okay. Rogue. that's a popular uh, yeah. one, but that is a unique barley wine because it is extremely hoppy. Um, yeah. Okay. Yes. So um, as we were talking about, barley wine is an English style, and. Uh, it is kind of common knowledge in the brew culture that, you know, an adjective or a precursor, when you say American, the word American, you basically mean hoppy. So if it's an American style barley wine, it's unusually hoppy for the style. So Sierra Nevada Bigfoot is a good example of a hoppy barley wine. Um, Avery Hog Heaven is one of my favorites. It's a hoppy barley wine. And these these things are so um, blurred in style that they can actually technically kind of be referred to as like triple IPAs. That's how hoppy they are. So what are you getting from this beer right now? Um, I doubt it's anything it's that reminds super, me of a triple it, IPA. It's really malty, actually. Like, I don't, yes. I don't get a ton of hops. Um, it, it's incredibly boozy like i you can't you can't um <laughs> you can't tell me a person what is that a 20 that's a 22 ounce right 25 ounce 25 ounce yeah. and gauge. someone drank that by themselves they'd be freaking wasted dumb wasted chocolate wasted. can you believe there are barley wine festivals in these fine united states absolutely not i hope they all turn in their keys there are barley wine festivals there are extreme beer festivals where everything is above like 10 percent or something people drink these all day no way. For hours at a time. That's insane. Again, I hope they turn in their keys. I really enjoy this beer. I like barley wines. I just, um, maybe I don't have the palate for it. They all, they all taste very similar to me. They taste like toffee and caramel and raisins. And I enjoy those flavors. But, um, again, they're, they're more, you know, dark fruit, malts, th- those kind of things forward. And I actually like more of a hot flavor to my beer. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've had. I want to say um, these are good dessert beers. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I I would drink this with also something sweet. It would help to like mellow it out for me a little bit. Reminds but, me of like a port. Yes. It honestly reminds me of like a t- it, like the flavor reminds me of black tea. I don't know why that is, but it's huh. it's got uh, it, oh, I don't know like a 
I'm not sure. It's something that got that finish of black tea where it's like super... It literally reminds me of a toffee, like a toffee pudding or something like that. Yeah. Bready, toffee, is, raisin. Is this, is this game really... Notes? This is... Uh, this is I think what our producer is trying to tell us is that, yeah, this is This beer's from 2014. Yes. <laughs> That's so crazy. So it's age. It's old. It's older. That's crazy. It's just to say that I bet it was a lot hoppier in 2014. Oh, for sure. In 2018. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oxidation. Is correct. Did we talk about that last episode? Didn't we talk about that? Can I ask Not you a question? Can I ask you a question? Does your friend from work, your coworker, drink a lot of beer? No. Yeah. So that this is what I I've noticed the trend that when people who don't are <laughs> are less experienced or or know of the many styles of beer there are they always kind of tend to lean towards high ABV sort of uh, malty kind of that style of beer. I think it makes it more approachable. I think what a lot of people don't like when they're first drinking beer, especially now given how the market trends have been recently, no one wants uh, no more novice drinker wants to drink a beer that makes them more thirsty and seeking water than they want something that's just going to get them fucked up. Like I, I, I can say that six years ago when I first really started getting into craft beer, that's where I was at. I was totally into that. I was just like, I want to drink two of these. Delirium was again, the first beer I drank before I started jumping into like super craft beer. So it's, it's, it's right up there. Delirium is what? Nine, nine percent. It's so like, you shopped for ABV. I shopped for get me regardless fucked up of and flavor. Sweet. Yeah, regardless I wanted something of flavor, sweet. So. I didn't want something. Again, it's my palate. We've, we've we've talked about this. You have a savory palate. I don't. I yep. have a sweet. Palate, Again, though, so. a lot of novice or beginner beer drinkers, the reason why they don't they think they don't like beer is because it's bitter. Right. And that's the flavor they don't like, the bitterness. Right. And it's a very specific type of bitter, I would argue. It's very dry. It's very, again, peppery, very grassy. These are the the things that, you know, it, 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 it and that's why it surprises me that New England style IPAs amongst even the semi-novice beer drinker is the style that's taking off because they reek of these things. I watched a guy. <laughs> in a craft bar in Manhattan, walk in, and the bar was not supposed to have this beer and be selling it, but they were. Uh, they had Hetty Topper. And <laughs> this dude walks in with, in a button-down shirt, a suit, should probably working some down somewhere down the financial district, orders a Hetty Topper <laughs> and takes a sip of it and goes, Ugh! That's great. <laughs> like trying to convince himself that this beer was good and fucking hated it. And he ordered a fucking Belgian beer right after that. And I was laughing with the bartender. I was just like, what the fuck is this dude drinking a heady topper for? And he was just like, he just, you know, knew it was popular. And like, he doesn't like those beers. He always orders like something at least like eight or nine or above. So I, it's I, I, the same way we were talking music before and saying your ears not ready for it. Some people's palates are just not even developed enough to understand why this beer is so unique. And you know, you, a lot of people don't think the run, uh, the the raisins and the plum and all the stuff that you were describing. They just think this beer is going to get me fucked up, and I only have to drink two. Done. <laughs> I think it's I don't know. This I, maybe this is coming from left field, but I I never really thought about pairing food with. A New England style IPA before, and it seems like it'd be not super conducive. Like this beer, even though I don't particularly care for it, it's not my cup of tea. I could, you know, rattle off four or five things to pair with this 
because it's so subtle and the flavors are so complex and like has that nice sort of balance to it. You get a lot of different things from it. A New England style IPA kind of just hits you on the head. You get a ton of hops and that's that. People also, I know, don't like drinking those because it makes them feel very full. And that's already an issue for me with beer most of the time. Mm. I think a lot of chefs would prefer to pair a darker beer. Interesting. It's easier. Interesting. Yeah. Belgian is always like the go-to, too. Like, the, you know, any sort of beer pairing book you read, most people will pick a Belgian-style beer to pair with food. It's just, I don't know, dry, effervescent, carbonated. It's complex. It's the yeast. Yeah. The yeast. It all comes down to the yeast. Well, I think we've had a, a great episode. I want to give a huge uh, shout-out to J3PO, our new producer. Um, we, we've thrown him a bunch of curveballs today. Uh, I'm confident that it's just, this podcast is just going to get better and better now that uh, the Liza and I can focus more on what we're talking about and less on uh, audio levels and internet and stuff. So thank you for being here. We look forward to continuing to have you here. Um, can we do feedback yet? Is that something we can get yet? Uh, episode 10. Episode 10 will be our first episode with feedback. Okay. So next so we episode. Have, we have, we have t- no, 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 no. From, oh, from we're gonna, our fans. Oh, from yeah. the fans. Oh, wait. How does that work? Uh, so Talk about that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we're going to uh, hit a new threshold for the way we host our podcast, and that is going to enable people to actually go into individual episodes and leave in the feedback per episode. Um, this includes episodes previous. So if you want to go back to episode one through nine and give us feedback, you're going to be able to do that too. Um, and you couldn't do that already. And you can, I, you can leave like iTunes feedback. You can like go and like leave us the one out of five stars and you can, uh, say what you you know like about the podcast, but, uh, you can't actually give individual episode feedback. It's over. Anyone actually given feedback via the format that there is, uh, the iTunes feedback. We have yeah. two comments Two no, two, uh, star ratings. What Which is that? great. What does that's, that mean? Uh, you go into the uh, podcast uh, section of iTunes. You can look up Cottage Brew, and you can uh, rate us on a scale from one to five. And if people choose to, which no one has done yet, they can also say why they left those one to five stars. So we've gotten a star rating, just no one's commented. Correct. Cool. Well, co- Two well, people I'm, have given you stars, but no one's commented. Correct. Nice. Are you going to be the first one? <laughs> He's going to go put comments on every Luckily, single episode. I can just text you guys. <laughs> He's got them. He's got them all logged up. Um, I know one thing no I'm really idea. excited about next episode. Um, I mean, you were here for this episode, so I don't know. Maybe we should do like a recap of we're going to give J3PO one minute to uh, to mouth off on the things that we get wrong. Uh, yep. We find it really funny when he does it uh, off show, but <laughs> you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, next episode, we'll set a timer. The whole it'll be official. Awesome, be in and out, hard, fantastic, net, hard network out. Nice. As always, our guests are brought to you by the Pennzoil Performance Hotline. <laughs> well, I want to thank everyone for listening. I am the kid, and I'm Lisa, and we will see you next time. Bye.
Cause you're a big black boy. 